Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's open up to Exodus, the 20th chapter. Exodus chapter 20, and I'll invite you to be opening up a Bible and meet me there. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to begin momentarily as we get ready to open up and to spend some time in the Word of God for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody this morning, even with several of our number traveling and worshiping in other places on this Lord's Day. We still have a great number in attendance with us here today. For those of you that are that are guests with us, we are very appreciative of your presence and you encourage us by, by being with us. We want you to know more importantly than that, you honor the Lord by being here and we hope and trust that we're helping you to serve the Lord. And if there's something we can do to help you in some other deeper way to serve the Lord and to know Him better, we want you to know that we're available for that. In Exodus chapter 20, I want to just get right to it today. In Exodus chapter 20, this is the last of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel in verse 17. In Exodus 20 and in verse 17, the Lord says there, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Back in 2016, during the Thanksgiving holiday, Verizon Wireless ran an ad campaign in which a series of commercials were released with a tagline that I am sure some marketing genius was paid millions of dollars to come up with. The tagline for this ad campaign was Happy Thanksgiving. Here is the script for the Happy Thanksgiving commercial. Twas Thanksgiving Eve, and in the U.S., Verizon is solving holiday stress. Get Black Friday deals, new tech, and more. Thanksgiving is here, and there's so much in store. Get your shopping done early, it's as easy as pie. Even for wish lists that reach really high. Get tablets, phones, and headphones too. Gifts for friends, family, and of course, for you. Get it online or in store to keep shopping light. It's all at Verizon Thursday till Monday night. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Now, of course, you know what happened next, don't you? Exactly one second after that commercial aired, fire and brimstone rained down from the heavens on Verizon National Headquarters for that ridiculous abomination of an idea. Well, actually, that didn't happen. But it should have. Because if you had ran that ad back in ancient Israel, you would have been hauled up on charges of instigating, inciting, and encouraging covetousness. You would be charged with a violation of the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet. How much thinking do you do or have you done about covetousness. In a society that rejoices in thanksgiving, how seriously do you take the sin of coveting? In fact, what even is coveting? What exactly does that mean? If I see somebody driving a really nice new car, am I supposed to turn my head away and make sure that I don't look at that because I don't want to get bad thoughts? If somebody invites me over to their house, it's a new house, it's this amazing house, am I to decline that invitation? Because if I go over there and I see that their house is nicer than my house, well, well, then I might start thinking some impure and wrong thoughts. How exactly does this coveting thing work? And what exactly makes it so bad that it actually made it to God's top ten list? 
Well, you should know that covetousness is really unique from all of the other commands that are found in the Old Testament. And specifically, it's different from all the other commands that are given in the Ten Commandments. Because unlike murder and stealing and adultery and bearing false witness that precedes it on this list, covetousness is entirely internal. I cannot see if you are coveting. You cannot see if I am coveting. You might be able to see the outward results of a covetous heart, but this is something that takes place on the inside of a man. It involves our thoughts. It involves what is in our hearts. Now that alone, the fact that it's something that is internal, I think that alone ought to grab our attention. Because you realize that means that quite literally right now, you could be coveting. Right now, I could be coveting. Unfortunately, not everybody sees coveting as being really that big of a deal. In fact, just stop and think about it. How many sermons have you heard in your entire lifetime specifically on the sin of covetousness? I'll go ahead and tell you, this is the first sermon I've ever preached on this subject. One commentator described covetousness this way. He said, covetousness, it's the weak sister of the Ten Commandments. He said that it really makes a bland end to a powerful list that should have concluded with something like adultery or stealing or murder and not a throwaway sin like covetousness. Is that how we feel about covetousness? That it's just kind of bland? It's weak. It's relatively minor. It's just really not that big of a deal, especially in comparison to some of those big sorts of sins. Covetousness, it's really it's really just a throwaway sin. Well, this morning I'm going to suggest to you that if that is the case, then we need to reevaluate our thinking and our attitude about coveting. Coming fresh off of the heels of the biggest shopping holiday of the year, the, the holiday weekend shopping extravaganza that is Black Friday. And in a society that just lauds and praises the idea of thanksgiving, it is time for us, I believe, as the people of God, to get serious about the sin of covetousness. And not because the Ten Commandments tell us to do so, but because all of the Bible, and more specifically the covenant of Jesus Christ that we live under today, we need to get that out of our lives, root it out before it absolutely destroys us. Let's talk for a few minutes this morning about what coveting is, why it is so wrong, and what we can do to get it out of our lives. We want to do what Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 5, and that is put covetousness to death, mortify it. And that all needs to begin by just starting, just talking a little bit about what covetousness actually is. The word covet, as it is used predominantly in Scripture, it simply means to desire, to yearn for, to long after something. One scholar noted that this verb is used in the Bible in a general sense of hankering after something. And if you're thinking I quoted that scholar just so I could simply say the word hankering, you're exactly right. But I need to actually press that a little bit further because coveting, it's more than just hankering after. It's more than just desire. Coveting is strong desire. It is the kind of consuming desire that will overtake our mind and our thought processes to where we now have an unhealthy craving for something. And what exactly is that something? 
Well, when coveting is talked about in the Bible, it's talking about something that we do not have. Or maybe it's something that we cannot have. And this desire to have that thing, it is so strong, it is so intense, that we are willing to do anything in order to acquire it, even commit evil. Covetousness then, it's a whole lot more than just seeing a nice car. It's more than just admiring somebody's nice house. It's more than just seeing someone's nice clothes and thinking to yourself, yeah, well, that's, that's some really nice clothes there. No, coveting is seeing that, and then it's saying, I want that. And not only do I want it, but I wonder what it would take to get it. Because I am going to get it. Even if that means doing something wrong, doing something that is evil, in order to obtain it, I will have it. No, I must have it. And that's what coveting is about. It's about a must-have sort of mentality. That I'll do whatever it takes to get that thing. In that way then, coveting really is very similar to lust. You know, a man can look at a beautiful woman and not lust after her, right? But if he looks at her again and again, and he begins to look at her up and down, and he begins to linger in that thought, and he begins to think about what it would be like to be with that woman then, then that man has then crossed a line. He's not just seeing anymore. He is now lusting in his heart. In the same way then, coveting is more than just seeing something nice, appreciating and admiring something nice. Coveting is seeing my neighbor's house or my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's oxen and thinking, how could I get that? How could I acquire that for myself? How could I obtain that no matter what? Coveting is evil desire, sinful desire. It happens when we set our hearts on something that is not rightfully ours. As one writer put it, coveting is an ungoverned, selfish desire of the heart. Now, I don't know about you, but when we start talking about coveting in those sorts of terms, those are terms that all of us can understand and grasp, when we start talking in those terms, I can't help but wonder... How could coveting be considered to someone as a throwaway sin? Some weak, bland, relatively minor sin in the Bible. Desiring something in a wrong way, at the wrong time, for the wrong reason, that sounds like some pretty serious business to me. In fact, this understanding of what covetousness is, that it is a sinful desire rooted in the heart, that is what then leads a person to violate really... All of the other commands that God gives to people today. And that is what makes coveting so wrong. Covetousness is wrong, first of all, because it breeds every kind of sin. What happens whenever people want? Whenever someone will do anything in order to get what they want? What's going to follow? You know what's going to follow. What's going to follow is every kind of evil and wickedness. Anybody see that video over the weekend? Those two women in the Danville Walmart during the Black Friday sale? These two women, apparently they wanted something so bad. I don't know what it was. It was a toy or whatever piece of merchandise it was. They wanted it so badly that they got into a fight right there in the middle of the floor of Walmart. And their covetous desires on that day, it then led to all kinds of other stuff. Violence. Profanity or cussing and saying ugly words, setting a bad example for kids that were there and everybody else that was there. 
Coveting opened up the door for all manner of wickedness. Would you like to see that in the Bible? Look in Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, do you remember the story of Achan? In Joshua chapter 7, we're told in verse 1, as the Israelites are making their conquest of the various cities in Canaan, in Joshua 7 verse 1, but the people of Israel, they broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, he took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. In the conquest of the city of Jericho, all of the loot, all of the bounty, all of the spoils that were found there, God says those are to be devoted to me. Chapter 6, verse 19. They are to be placed into the treasury of the Lord. But Achan saw some of those devoted things. And what Achan said in his mind and in his heart is, I need that. I want that. I must have that. And he sinned in order to obtain it. Drop down in chapter 7, verse 20. He confesses so. In chapter 7, verse 20, Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Do you see it? Achan's coveting led to stealing. It led to lying, him covering up this whole charade. That's what coveting bred in Achan's life. And of course, he and his family, they all ended up suffering the consequences of that decision terribly, didn't they? But it wasn't just Achan. What about David in 2 Samuel chapter 11? We know that story well. David coveted his neighbor's wife, which then led to what? Led to fornication? It led to deception? It led to murder? Or what about Ahab? Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 21, he coveted Naboth's vineyard. Wanted that guy's piece of property so badly that he brought up and trumped up false charges of false witnesses against him. And then once again, he perpetuated murder. The prophet Amos. Amos chapter 8 verse 5 talks about shopkeepers who coveted money so badly that they would actually violate the Sabbath. They would keep their stores open on the Sabbath because they wanted that much money. Over and over and over again, every sort of sin, it is traced right back to evil desire to get what I want no matter the cost. One brother wrote the following. He said, what happens is, is we see something that we want Then we start thinking about how much we want it. Soon it dominates our thoughts until finally it becomes an obsession. And when it reaches that point, sin has its way with us. And that's exactly right. And that's exactly what the New Testament says. Would you look in James chapter 1? In James chapter 1, James talks about the progression of sin. How is a sin born? In James chapter 1, look at how it all starts. In James 1, this is verse 14. In James chapter 1 and in verse 14, James says there that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed, notice this, by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Covetousness. 
It strikes at the root of nearly all sin. In fact, if you'll just flip over to James chapter 4, not only is coveting responsible for practically every evil deed, but it is also responsible for the friction and the trouble that we have in our relationships with other people. In James chapter 4, look in verse 2, James says this, he says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Envy, jealousy, that wishing of evil upon somebody else because they have something that we want and we can't possess that thing, that quickly starts to show up and rear its ugly head whenever covetousness is involved. Coveting, it destroys not only our vertical relationship with God, but as James points out here, coveting, it destroys our horizontal relationship with others. Happens in marriages, happens in churches, happens in friendships. How many friendships have ended? Not because of some big terrible scandal of betrayal or or lying or gossip, but because one friend was just consumed with what that other friend had and it led to a rift in that relationship. Remember the story of the two mothers back in 1 Kings chapter 3? One of them lost their child and the other one, what happened? Coveting that child. She's got a child. I don't have a child. Led to all kinds of problems between those two women. Coveting is not a bland, weak, throwaway sin. And that's because thirdly, coveting, it's a heart issue. Think about your heart. God wants your heart. That's what the Lord wants. The Lord wants not just a fragment of your heart, not just some little sliver that's labeled God. God wants your entire heart. And God wants us then to want Him and to want His ways completely and entirely. But coveting takes those desires and places them over here on something else. My desires are not on God and His things. Instead, my desires are over here on on something else. It defiles our hearts. And in fact, Jesus says so. Would you look in Mark chapter 7, please? In Mark chapter 7, just look here. As Jesus speaks here, look at the company that coveting travels along with. See what this does for that mentality of, well, coveting, it's not really that big of a deal. Look at the other stuff that Jesus groups it with. In Mark chapter 7, look in verse 21. In Mark 7 and in verse 21, Jesus says there, Mark 7 verse 21, He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. In fact, this is not the only place where covetousness is kind of grouped along with a bunch of other sins. Would you look in 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes a little list of his own. And Paul is actually even more explicit there because he says that coveting... Coveting is going to keep people out of heaven. Coveting is going to cause people to go to hell. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look in verse 9. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy... Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That word that's translated greedy in the ESV, it is the word for covetous. 
Do you ever think about that? You ever think about the fact that there's going to be people that's going to lose their soul eternally because they were covetous. Do you think of covetousness in the same vein as you do homosexuality or any of the other things that are mentioned here? You ought to because Paul says all of those things are going to keep people out of God's kingdom. Covetousness is not a light manner. And sometimes I wonder if maybe we as the church, I wonder if maybe we fully grasp the ramifications of covetousness. Because in the previous chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul actually says that Christians who are covetous, they are actually subject to church discipline. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's giving instruction to the church at Corinth here about how to deal with this brother who had been sexually immoral. And we hear about, we read this guy's story and what he was doing, and we, oh, we recoil at the thought of what he was doing. Yes, the church needed to act. Church needed to take some action. He needed to be disciplined. Well, look at what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, as this brother was. Notice now. Or greed, or is an idolater, or a violent, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. At the end of verse 13, purge that evil person out from among you. Once again, that word greedy It's the word covetous. And Paul says that the church is to withdraw itself from Christians who are consumed with covetousness. That is serious business. Let me give you one more in this connection. In Colossians chapter 3. I alluded to this verse a few moments ago in the introduction. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul makes a statement here about God's assessment of coveting. How does the Lord see coveting? And sometimes there's little notes in the Bible where God will just kind of give His little little insight of what He thinks about various sins. And He says this in Colossians 3 and in verse 5. In Colossians 3 and verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The Bible says that covetousness is the equivalent of idolatry. It is the deification of something other than God on the throne of our hearts. That is, we want this thing so bad that we turn it into an idol. You know, you don't have to read very far into the Old Testament to know what God thinks about idolatry. He hates it. It is an abomination to Him. And when you and I covet, that's how God feels about that. Young people, can I just say right here? This is very, very easy for you to slip into this trap. Think about it especially this time of year. Christmas is coming up. i got to have that new game. Play, i got to have that game. I need that new phone. The new iPhone's coming out. The new Android's coming out. God, all my friends, all my friends, they've got all the latest gear. They've got all the coolest technology and the neatest toys. Where's mine? Young people, you better check that desire. You better get that under control now before that develops into a much bigger problem down the road. That's my piece of advice to you. Somebody maybe says, okay, Josh, well, well what do we do about that? It's bad. There's no doubt about it. It's wrong all the way through. And I don't want to think about it anymore as being this light and minor throwaway sin. I want to think about it as being a big deal. How do we, how do we take care of that in our life? 
How do we quench those desires and that, that feeling of must-haveness? Well, in the middle of a society that is unapologetic about its coveting, I recognize that the solution for covetousness is much easier said than done. But with that said, I do want to offer you very quickly three cures for covetousness. Three things that I think all of us, young, old, everybody in between, we can all get to work on immediately. And since coveting is a heart problem, it's internal, that's really where the work's going to have to happen. And so, for example, that's going to need to start. It's going to need to start by refusing to fill up our hearts with the lies and the untruths that our culture tries to tell us about this world. Do you know the kind of thing that I'm talking about here? What about that lie that is often floated around? I deserve. I deserve. We see something that somebody else has. I deserve that. I ought to have that. I'm supposed to have that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the Bible never promises a Christian that they're going to have every nice thing that they ever wanted just because they're a Christian. It doesn't matter that there are people in the Bible who actually drew closer in their relationship to God when they did not have all kinds of nice things. No, 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 no. I want it, and I want it now because I deserve it. Police, the only thing that you deserve, the only thing that I deserve is what? Death. Romans 6 verse 23. I think we need a heavy dose of that every now and then. The wages of sin. That is, what you have earned, what you deserve, the wages of sin is death. Maybe we need to think about that more often. Maybe that will help us with this entitled feeling so often, and it will help to, to quench some of those covetous feelings. What about that other big lie of, well, if, if, if only, if only I had fill in the blank. It's the age-old fallacy that happiness will come to me from the outside, not from the inside. Happiness will come to me if I have this thing. That happiness is the result of some physical thing, even some physical person acquiring some item. If I could only have it then, then I would be truly happy and truly content. Do, do, Do you hear just Satan in those kinds of lies that the world is feeding us? And let's not listen to the devil. Let's listen to Jesus here. Would you look in the New Testament again, Luke 12? In Luke chapter 12, let's let Jesus tell us the truth. While we're being bombarded with lies, Jesus is going to tell us the truth. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is confronted by a fellow who wants some stuff. And before Jesus turns to the crowd and begins to tell them a parable about a guy who got really consumed with his stuff, Jesus says to this man personally and individually, in Luke chapter 12 and in verse 15, Jesus said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Do you hear Jesus there? In Luke 12 15, Jesus tells us that not only is coveting sinful, it's dumb. It won't work. It can't work. It's not going to get you to where you want to go. It's not going to bring you the joy and the happiness that you think it's going to. Coveting in many ways is kind of like like buying a hang glider. And I get this new hang glider and what I want to do with it is I want to fly to the sun. Okay, that's dumb. 
Because number one, you're not going to take a hang glider to the sun. And number two, even if you could, you don't want to go there. You can't get happy from wanting and acquiring more stuff. And the sooner we start telling our heart the truth about that, then the sooner we can diffuse covetousness exactly where it starts. Which leads right into this second idea, and that is, we should need to count our blessings. I just barely touched on this last Sunday night in the lesson about whining. But I really need to emphasize it here as a cure for coveting. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, please. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul helps us here once again, beginning in verse number 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 6, Paul says here, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, there's that coveting, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it is a root of all kinds of evil. It is this crave, through this craving, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. We need to focus our attention there on verse 8, where Paul says, If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. How much do you have? Did you eat supper last night? Did you have breakfast this morning? Absolutely not. not. I didn't eat breakfast either. I'm not a breakfast eater. But that was by choice. How many of us are planning to eat lunch here in just a few minutes? We have a lot, don't we? That's just thinking about one day. Or what about your clothing? Is anybody here wearing the same clothes today that they wore yesterday, that they wore the day before and the day before that and the day before that because that's the only change of clothes that you have? No. For, for many of us, getting dressed this morning involved going to a closet that was just brimming with all kinds of options. I can dress lighter. I can dress warm. Pick which color I want to wear. Pick which matches with other stuff. We've been blessed, haven't we? You stack up where we are, especially in this country, when it comes to food and clothing, basic necessities like that. You compare us then to the rest of this world, we're not just blessed, we are really, really blessed. But all too often we take that for granted. We forget about that. And what happens is, is verse 10, we end up craving more stuff. Christian, the Bible is saying, stop and smell the roses. Because the truth is, we are living in a garden that is full of roses. Count your blessing. That's not just a cliche. That's not just a song that we sing. That's something you need to do. Count your blessings. That'll curb covetousness. And then finally, those strong desires that exist that breed covetousness, those strong desires that we have for things, what we want to do with those desires is we want to take them off of things and we want to place those desires... On the Lord. That is, we need to channel our wonder upon God and upon God's things. Let's let Jesus help us in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, in this chapter where Jesus talks so much about possessions and how people can start worrying about stuff and about things, Jesus concludes this chapter by saying, instead of being caught up in stuff, What we need to do, Matthew 6.33, 
is we need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God's kingdom, His righteousness, His things. That's what we really need, isn't it? And isn't that what our hearts truly desire? I think within every person. There is built, there's this this God-shaped hole. And only the Lord can fit in there. People try to shove all kinds of other stuff in there. But only God can fit in there. That is what our heart's true desire and longing is. The forgiveness of sins. The peace and the joy and the hope that are found in Christ Jesus. The hope of heaven. A reason to live. Purpose in this life. Is there anything greater than those spiritual blessings? No, there is not. All the rest, all that other stuff in life, all that other stuff that we spend so much time and so much energy coveting after, God says those things, they'll be added unto you when you put the focus on me first and foremost. God says, I, I, I've got you covered on all that other stuff. I'll take care of you. Don't be consumed. Don't allow your heart to be consumed with things and with stuff. Instead, you want to be consumed with something? Be consumed with me. What you and I need, what the world needs, is the Lord. That He must be the focus of our heart's desire. I think about what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. In fact, we have a song that we sing about it quite often. Like a deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul longs after You, Lord. Lord, You are my heart's desire. And that's the attitude of heart that we need to develop. We need to be able to echo those exact same words. Lord, I want You above all else. That You are the must-have of my life. In fact, Lord, You are the only must-have of my life. Now let's let Jesus sum all of this up this morning in Matthew the 19th chapter. In Matthew chapter 19, here Jesus meets a man who, this guy knew about the Ten Commandments. He did. He knew all kinds of stuff about those commandments. But he seemed to be lacking in one particular area of those commandments. In Matthew chapter 19, I'm reading here about the rich young ruler. Begin with me in verse 16. In Matthew 19, verse 16, Behold, a man came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep The commandments. He said to him, well, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Hold on right there. Is there a commandment missing there? When Jesus rattles off that list in verse 18 and verse 19, did you notice that He left one out? Watch Jesus go straight for it right now. Verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Jesus turned and said to His disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, we live in a culture that praises people like the rich young ruler. 
Our culture looks at people like that and puts them up on a pedestal. Yeah, good for you. Get, 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 and get you some more. Don't listen to Jesus. Get rid of your stuff, sell your possessions, and focus on other things. No, 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 no. Get you some more. Happy Thanksgiving to you. But the Lord, through many different channels and through many different means, and we've really only touched the hem of the garment this morning as far as the number of passages, the Lord says loudly and clearly, Thou shalt not covet. Instead, stop listening to the lies of this world, and instead you be content with the blessings that you have been given from God. And then what you need to do with every fiber of your being is you need to come and follow me, commit yourself to me fully and completely and entirely. That will not only cure covetousness, that will then put you on the path that leads to the kingdom of heaven. What about you this morning? Talk so much about the heart. Where is your heart? Does your heart crave the things of this world? Or is your heart set upon God? You crave God more than anything else. Talk about using the word coveting. I think there's a positive sense in which we can use the word covet. You can covet the Lord. And that's a good thing. Covet His things. If this morning, if what you covet is God in your life, if you covet forgiveness, if you covet righteousness, if you covet joy and hope and peace and all of the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ Jesus, but you don't have those things, then you have a wonderful opportunity right now to get them. And I am going to use that word get in a positive way. You can get those blessings by surrendering your will to that of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, all things are ready. You can do that this morning. You can become a Christian. You can get your foot on that path that leads to heaven. Brother or sister, it may be that sin has entered into your life. It may be this morning, talking about covetousness, maybe that struck a nerve. Maybe that stings a little bit. If that is the case, then maybe there's some repenting that needs to happen. And maybe that's just going to happen right right where you are, right there in your pew. That's just going to be between you and the Lord. Coveting is an internal thing. You're just going to take care of that between you and God. But maybe you want to seek the prayers and the encouragement of your brothers and sisters here for whatever it is that might be troubling you. We're ready to help and assist in any way so that we can all serve the Lord, be with Him in heaven someday. Whatever your need might be, why don't you respond? Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.